0: Well, thank you for joining us tonight as we conclude our series, Things to Come. Uh, Thank you to those who are with us online as well. I wanna thank you as a church, I was thinking today as I was driving around the city a little bit about what kind people you are. Thank you. Thank you for being kind to Pastor Donna and I. Thank you for showing the love of Christ over and over again. Bless you. Well, we're going to dig right in tonight um, and expect God to speak to us. We've been fasting and praying this week. And as we've been fasting and praying, we've been asking God to uh, use his word to touch our hearts even this evening. 2nd Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. We started there last weekend. 2nd Timothy 3 and verse 1. Understand this, that in the last times, last days, there will come times of difficulty. In the last days there will come times of difficulty. When you drive across Canada, visit provinces and cities, one of the things you uh, notice pretty quickly is there are Tim Hortons all over the place. They just pop up everywhere. You drive six blocks and there's another one of them. London, Ontario, there seems to be a Tim Tim Hortons on both sides of the block on both ends of every block. I mean, Tim Hortons are everywhere. As I've been studying the end times over the last month and looking at things to come, one of the things that has surprised me the most is how often the subject, the thought, the idea of deception comes up. In the end times, these perilous times, uh, there's going to be lots of deceived people, lots of deception out there. Deception is going to rule and deception is going to reign. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 8 to 11. The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. So where does the lawless one come from? It is by the activity of Satan, who will come with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception. Deception is one of the key things we have to guard ourselves against in the end times. Satan will come with all power, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth. They refuse to love the truth. Satan will come with all power, deceive people because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. Therefore, God allows them, sends them to strong delusions so they may believe what is false. There's going to be a lot of nonsense out there in the closing days of time. A lot of deception. A lot of foolishness. And so I just want us to pray and ask the Lord to help us receive what Spirit would say to our church tonight through his word. I invite you to take your Bible and just hold it. Maybe it's electronic, maybe it's paper. Just want you to take whatever scripture you've got here tonight and hold it against your heart as I pray. Holy Spirit come, protect our hearts from deception and delusion and things that are false and open our hearts, O God, to receive the truth of your word tonight. In Jesus' beautiful name I pray, amen and amen. So what have we talked about in uh, this series so far? Well it's kind of summarized in the chart that's coming up on the screen right now. We have talked about uh, the church age is really the last days. The entire period since Christ was Christ's resurrection in the New Testament is what you call the last days. And ever since Christ uh, left, uh, there's been this expectation of his return. At the uh, end of the church age, we begin to enter into a period of birth pangs. And then there is the years of the tribulation, seven years of tribulation divided into two halves. uh, Generally just described as the tribulation and the great tribulation. What divides the tribulation into two halves is the abomination of desolation. That's all we've covered in the last two weeks. And now we move on to, and I was hoping to move on to the rest of the story. We're gonna have to have another series sometime to finish the rest of the story, but we're gonna move on to uh, the next thing. And we're gonna talk about uh, the return of Christ or the second coming. And where in this chart does the second coming of Christ fit in? And for some of you who may be listening now, either in the auditorium or online, you may be asking the question, what is uh, the second coming? So we want to uh, understand all of that. Next slide, please. Acts chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. Jesus's last words to his disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he'd said these things as they were looking on he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight while they were gazing into heaven as he went behold two men stood by them in white robes and said man of galilee why do you stand there looking into heaven this jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven This Jesus will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven the second coming of Christ. It's what the church has been expecting ever since Jesus left. The church has been pregnant with this expectation that Jesus is coming back. What's it going to look like when he comes back? Let's uh, pick some of that revelation up in the next slide. 2 Thessalonians 4, 16-18, that might be 1 Thessalonians. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive or left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. There's a day coming, friends. There's a day coming. When with the cry from heaven, with the command from heaven, with the voice of an archangel the sound of the trumpet of God is going to sound it's going to be heard all around the world and those who have died in Christ those who died as believers are going to come out of their graves and ascend to meet him in the clouds and those of us who are still here and alive will meet him in the clouds, the second coming of Christ. The church has been living in expectation of that ever, ever since Jesus left us. So the question is, when does this happen? Where does the second of Christ, coming of Christ fit into this picture? And there are six major theological views on this, and I'm going to give them to you quickly. Um, Six major theological views on the second coming of Christ. The first of those views is the preterist view, preterism that says all biblical prophecy has been fulfilled. The second coming of Christ occurred with the fall of Jerusalem in 70AD. Some people believe that Jesus has already come back and put everything in order. I better not go on. Uh, number two. Number two, partial rapture. Only those who are watching and waiting for the Lord's return will be raptured and escape the tribulation. Those of you, those of us who are never thinking about it, never wondering if this might be the time Jesus is coming back, they won't go up, but the ones who are watching and waiting will go up. And then they believe there are a series of other smaller raptures that go on throughout the tribulation. Third major theological view: pre-tribulation rapture. Christians will be gathered to the Lord before the tribulation. Trumpet's going to sound before the tribulation comes. One day we're driving to work and all of a sudden our car's still going down the circle drive and we're up in heaven looking at it drive into things. Uh, number four: uh, mid-tribulational rapture. The rapture will take place at the midpoint of the tribulation. And the last view is the view of, oh, fifth view, sorry, pre-wrath tribulation rapture. And they believe the tribulation is set up in three stages. First stage is the beginning of sorrows. The second stage, the great tribulation. And the last stage they call the day of the Lord. So, the pre-wrath tribulation has the rapture taking place a little after the middle of the tribulation. And the sixth prominent major theological view on when Christ is coming back is that Christ returns at the end of the tribulation. That's what's out there. So, here's the problem, I think, in the church. We've got all these views out there and we're kind of told just study them all and pick one. (laughs) Friends, we study the Word and see what it says. We study the Word. And see what it says. So I mean there's six views out there friends, but what man have written and what man thinks about it isn't really all that important. Theological books do not trump this book. The opinions of man do not trump the Word of God. We need to know what god's word says and if we go in any other direction we open ourselves up to deception the deception that is going to run rampant in the end times so we need to be deeply committed students of god's word And we cannot be people who refuse to love the truth. We have to love the truth. We have to love what God is saying to us. So I've been raised in the church. My mom told me I went to church the first Sunday of my life. I, and it may not be true anymore. I think it's still pretty close to truth. I don't think there are 10 weekends, I haven't gotten to church somewhere or someplace in my life. I, I've been raised in the church and I've been raised to appreciate God's word and to appreciate the scriptures. And I've also been raised in uh, a pre-tribulational environment that taught and believed and believed with conviction that Jesus is coming back before the tribulation. In my teens, uh, the movie Thief in the Night had just been released and we were scaring hell out of people. I mean, you showed that movie and you'd have people running to the altar because any moment Jesus could be coming back pre-tribulation rapture. The historical setting I was raised in and the historical convictions of, uh, of many who I fellowship with and have credentials with. And uh, that's fine. But we're obligated friends, we're obligated friends to ask the question, does this position pass the truth test? We're obligated to ask the question, does this position pass the truth test? We're obligated to ask, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Have you ever wondered in the last few months if the seven year tribulation is ever, is, has begun? Have you ever been wondering if it's already here? Been thinking about where we're at in terms of the end time calendar? I know many people have. I read that question when I was reading Jonathan Brentner's article's 10 Signs of the Looming Seven-Year Tribulation, web article May 29, 2020. After he asked this question, this was his response. I know it hasn't started yet because scripture says that we will be with the Lord before the Antichrist establishes a covenant with Israel that starts the clock ticking for this time of God's wrath. So there's no way we're in the seven-year tribulation because Scripture says that we will be with the Lord before the Antichrist establishes a covenant with Israel. Hmm, interesting. And he even tells us what texts to look at. So that's called proof texting. Here's, here's the proof. <laughs> Now, friends, whenever you see proof texting in, script, in, in theological books and theological articles, I beg of you, read them. <laughs> I beg of you, read them. So let's read them Daniel 9 and verse number 27. And he, he being the Antichrist, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, so week of years, so seven years, and for half the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations, so this is the abomination of abo- uh, this is the ab- deso- abomination of desolation, shall come on one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Are you convinced now that we're not going to be here in the tribulation? That's the proof text. Do you see it in there? In case you're wondering if you should be, I'm having trouble seeing it. I don't even see a mention of Christ's return in there. I see talk about the antichrist, huh? Well, maybe we should look at the next verse. Maybe that was a typo First, 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 3 to 8. But before we look at those, take that off the screen just for a second. Back up there, Jordan, sorry. I, I wanna talk about the context of 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 to 8. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him. That's the second coming, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. When you're driving down circle drive and looking down from heaven while your truck goes into the ditch, uh, we're gonna be gathered together with him. We ask you brothers not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by spirit or spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us. So apparently some people sending letters and signing Paul's name Uh to the effect that the day of the Lord has come so the context of what I'm going to read now is Paul talking about when is the second coming going to take place now this is the proof text that we're not going to be here for the seven-year tribulation let's read it now let no one deceive you in any way For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness, the antichrist is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you things? Are you guys not remembering? And you know what is restraining him now? so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way and when the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming Um, so friends, 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 friends Online, friends, these are the two verses that prove that we're not going to be here for the tribulation. We're going to disappear first. I'm sorry, I don't find them very convincing. Be very careful, friends, with proof texting. When you're reading stuff with proof texting, do yourself a favor: stop and look it up. There's lots of people who read that paragraph and they just gobble it up. And friends, the end times is going to be filled with delusion, and we refuse to be a part of that crowd. I've got to go to the book. We've got to go to the book. So, what do we learn from Second Thessalonians 2 about when he is coming? Verse number 3. That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. I think this is a very bad proof text. That we're not going to be. The day is not coming. Paul says, "Until the Antichrist has been revealed." Huh. So, when will the second coming take place? Well, Matthew chapter twenty-four, verse thirty-six, concerning that day and hour, knows no one. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So who knows when Jesus is coming back? Father only. Father's the only one who knows the day or the hour. Now we have three sons, proud of them all. No comments from halfway back on the right hand, please out of the all. And Donna, at some point, usually about eight and a half months before they arrived, said, guess what? We were having a first son, a second child, whatever. And she said, the due date is? I very early in the process, well not early, about after two sons discovered that the only one who knows when my sons were coming was the father. (laughs) They came when they were gonna come. Doctor can tell you a date, you think you got it all figured out, but the father decides when they're coming. When's Jesus coming? The only one who knows is the father. Only one who knows is the father. But that doesn't mean we don't know a little bit. That doesn't mean we don't know a little bit. 1 Thessalonians chapter five, uh, verses one to four. I think it's the next verse. I think we just got the wrong wrong text there. So that should be 1 Thessalonians 5, one to four, not 2 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5, one to four. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. So we don't know the day nor the hour. But friends, we can be bright enough to know whether it's winter or spring. We don't know the day or the hour, but we can understand the times and the seasons. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Well, people are saying there's peace and security, everything's okay. What you're so worried about? Then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. You are not in darkness, brothers, that that day to for that day to surprise you like a thief. You don't know when the day is going to be, friends. You don't know when the day's gonna be. But I can tell you that it got pretty obvious to me that we were in the season when the day was coming when all three of our boys were arriving. We can know the season. We can, boy this is getting close, it's getting pretty obvious. But you don't know the time, you don't know the hour. So we can know uh, the season. So uh, what, do we, what do we learn? Take your Bibles here, because this is not coming up on your slide, and sometimes we make our people easy listeners by putting everything uh, up on the slide for you. But Revelation 20, verses 2 and 3. Uh, an angel seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who's the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So what has happened here? His angel has taken Satan and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he'll be released for a little while. So this is the millennium that's just about to start and Satan is bound for a thousand years. Now read these verses that are on the slide. Revelation 20, uh, verses four to six. And then I saw thrones and seating on them were those in whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, we talked about that last week, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come into life until the thousand years were ended, This is the first resurrection. Hmm. What resurrection is it? You're afraid to confess it, aren't you? What resurrection is it? This is the first resurrection. The end times calendar, this is the first resurrection. That means... There haven't been any other resurrections yet. This is the first resurrection. Thank you, Paul. And when does it seem to be happening here? Well, after some people have been killed for their faith. After some people have not worshiped the beast or taken the mark of the beast. Seems to be happening in in that context. Hmm. When does the second coming take place? Well, maybe I should just get back to Matthew twenty-four and keep it simple. It was much simpler when I didn't start using the whole Bible. <laughs> so let's go to Matthew chapter 24. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, And they'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his... So this is coming and gathering, coming and gathering, coming and gathering his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So, and and I'm gonna present this challenge to you. I've presented it a couple of other times when I'm preaching. Most of the time, I've been smart enough not to preach this. But some of you are saying, no, 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 this isn't the way it is. I challenge you to find any scripture that gives a clear declaration that Jesus is going to come and get his church before the, the uh, seven year tribulation, find it. I don't think you'll find it because this is what Jesus said. I think you're going to have a great deal of trouble finding it and truth of the matter is anytime I put the challenge up people brought me verses but they weren't any more convincing than Daniel nine twenty seven. So let me take you through Matthew 24 now. Kind of Reader's Digest version. Many will come in my name, verse five, lead many astray. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. The end isn't yet. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning, but the beginning. This is putting things in a time frame. The end is not yet. We've already read. But the beginning, now we move into the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Now, I'm just uh, confident enough, friends, to believe that Jesus knows how to say what he means. He could have said... Then you will escape tribulation because I'll rapture you. But that's not what it says. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Then you see the abomination of desolation. Then there will be great tribulation immediately after the tribulation of those days will appear in heaven, the sign of the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. For me, and I've made a personal commitment to be as true as I possibly can to God's Word. For me, and friends, I'm not always right. I'm not always right. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But but for me, when I get into the book, it seems pretty clear. Seems pretty clear. So what we've been saying, and this is our third message in the series, that more important than figuring out the perfect timeline that everybody's gonna be excited about, maybe you can start up your seventh major view on tribulation. We need to be asking the question, what should we be doing about it? What should we be doing about it? And let me talk about that now as we wind down. Next slide. So where does the coming of Christ fit in? I think you've got it there on that chart, according to my understanding of scripture. So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? We need to approach eschatology humbly. I'm reading a uh, book. I read presidential biographies as a, as a hobby. I'm reading a book on uh, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden right now. And over and over again, he gets into the committee room and this is how he starts. He says, this is what I believe. But I want every one of you to try to talk me out of it, show me what I may be missing. Our arrogance gets us in trouble, friends. We come into God's Word, we come into committee meeting rooms with our minds made up, and we're not going to listen. And some of us have heard so much stuff over the years, we're not really interested in finding out what the Scripture says, because we saw it on thief for the night. We need to approach eschatology humbly. Number two. Your convictions and the Scriptures must stick together like two pieces of Velcro. We gotta, what you believe has to line up with the Scripture. They have to stick, hold together. You can't choose to believe things that are apart from Scripture because, well, he was such a nice guy who told me that, and I, 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 I really liked him, so I'm just going to believe it. There are a lot of sincere people out there, friends, who are sincerely wrong, sweet as anything but sincerely wrong. Your convictions and the scriptures must stick together like Velcro. Next. I think, and us North Americans have experienced so little of this we'd have trouble believing it, but Christians do not get a pass on tribulation. Sometimes being a Christian is not easy. Sometimes being a pastor is not easy. Christians do not get a pass on tribulation. John chapter 16, verse 33. I've told you these things, amplified classic version, so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. Jesus comes back to this. Man, don't get all upset about this, have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. It's gonna happen. Nobody ever told you that before, then shame on you for never reading your Bible. In the world, you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But what do we do? Cheer up. Be of good cheer. Take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived of it of of its power to harm you and have conquered it for you. We're not getting passes on tribulation, friends. Scripture just doesn't teach that. Interestingly, the last two weeks, I've started this message with 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, I think it is. Is that where I started? 2 Timothy chapter 3. Know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Yes. It's in the context of the end times and the difficulties of the end times uh, that Paul says this. Verse number 12, 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I can't be around for the tribulation. That's persecution, that'll never happen. I'm a Christian, I'm surrounded by God's angels. Friends, study church history. There've been a lot of people who've died for their faith. I don't know why the generation that God says you're it touches and is the generation of the end times would think, well, yeah, yeah, but we're gonna be the exception. Uh, Point number four, you do not need uh, to be removed from the world to experience God's provision and protection. Be of good cheer tribulations come and cheer up. Yay. Cheer up. You don't have to be removed from the world to still have God's protection. To have God's protection and his, his blessing around you. I I I'm sad at the Foot of two generations, of very godly men my grandfather and my dad, and my grandfather told me the story when uh, they were leaving from Russia to come to Canada. Most of you heard this story before, but uh, two nights before he broke in, uh, 13, he called them KGB officers, policemen, broke into my grandfather's house and said, Emil, we hear you're trying to get out of Russia and we're gonna make sure you get there. And they started turning the house over, looking for the money that my grandfather had saved and put in a, in a wooden crate box that uh, you kept apples in. And they said, we're gonna find that money and make sure you can't leave. And 13 officers turned the house upside down, emptied every every single drawer, every single cupboard, went into every single closet, turned absolutely everything upside down. And my grandfather sits at the kitchen table and says, God, blind blind their eyes. Lord, blind their eyes. Lord, blind their eyes. Lord, blind their eyes. And they left without finding any money. They said to Amo, we're sorry. We must have been mistaken. Left the country two days later. With the money that was in the apple crate box, right in front of him on the table. You don't need to escape the world to escape God's prote- uh, the judgment of the evil one, or to you don't need to escape the world to uh, feel safe. Number five. That said, people are going to lose their lives. Number five, God hasn't told us these things to scare us, but to prepare us. And this isn't to make you scared, make you afraid. God in his kindness is a good, good, good father. God in his kindness is a good, good, good father. And he's saying, I don't want you guys to be taken by surprise. Here's what it's gonna be like the day, the seasons, the times of my return. He's preparing us. And over and over again, talked about the two things that have surprised me in this series over and over again. Uh, Don't be deceived and don't be afraid. Keeps coming up. Don't be afraid, friends. Our hope and our confidence is in him. And lastly, search the scriptures if these things be so. Friends, um, I argued with Jesus last week a lot about the message I preached. And this week, I was hoping I'd get raptured before the weekend. I really have not been anxious to share this because I know so many of us have been raised in an environment with very strong convictions that lean towards one of those five other positions. But my honest spiritual conviction as I just throw the books out (laughs) and get into the book is I think God's been pretty clear. But here's the challenge, friends. Here's the challenge. Never take any preacher at his word. Don't take books at the word. Don't take proof texting at the word. You have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to search the scriptures if these things be so. Great portion of scripture often quoted from the book of Acts the Jews in Berea were not, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. You want to make sure you don't get deceived in these deceptive ages? You want to be sure? What do you do? You search the scriptures. Whether these things be so. And it's a serious responsibility, friends. There's a lot of false teachers out there, and you have a responsibility to make sure I'm not one of them. Oh, Father, help us. I do still kind of want to work here. Been an impressed, worship band coming along with uh, a time of worship. The end times are going to be really, really challenging for two reasons. Because there's going to be an increasingly huge gulf between righteousness and unrighteousness, between truth and error, uh, between Christ and forces of evil. The gulf is just going to get bigger and bigger. Friends, as we get closer and closer to the end these are going to be the most exciting times ever for the church the gospel is going to be preached unto the ends of the world holy spirit's going to be poured out upon all flesh these are going to be really really exciting times for the church harvest is going to be plentiful and then on the other side there's going to be this raising up of of evil and evil's going to abound, and the love of many is going to wax cold, and people are going to be living in deception. And the evil side—it's not going to like the Lord's side, and it's going to get harder and harder and harder. But God's blessing is not going to be lifted from the church. But friends what the church has to be sure of is that we're concentrating on discipleship and evangelism and fellowship we've got to be encouraging one another and getting to know one another as we never have before and we've got to be in fellowship see I have no intention if I'm still around to take the mark of the beast and that means I'm gonna to need to stick real close to Don Schoenfeld to bring me some deer meat. Because I don't wanna live off of grass. We gotta be in fellowship, friends. We've gotta to stick together. I don't know how to fix anything. I don't know how to fix anything. I'm gonna need some fixers in my life. I Gonna need each other, friends. This is not time to be living separated, isolated lives. We need to be getting close and encouraging one another. So may God come by his spirit now and just uh, allow us to reflect on these things.